We're in Psalm 139. I'm going to preach half of this psalm today, half on Sunday week, the 30th. Now conclude our study in the Psalms. This is a great psalm. Psalm 139. I'll be reading verses 1 through 12 this morning. As I read, remember this is the Word of God. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there, your hand will lead me. And your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light will be around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Again, that is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, be our teacher. Through your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our eyes to see the truth of your word, our ears to hear its message, our hearts to receive its application. We pray that by your grace we might come to grips with what we find here, that it might be a great source of blessing and encouragement to our hearts. We ask it all for Christ's sake. Amen. If you've been around North Point very long, then you know that one of the fundamental principles that undergirds my teaching ministry is the importance of the character of God. That is, I believe that one of the keys to living a guided life, a faithful life, a contented life, and a fruitful life is knowing who God is. One of the, in fact, the, the first sermon series I preached here 12 years ago was on the character of God. You know, what we think about God determines what we think about everything else. Wrong ideas about God will lead to wrong ideas about who we are, where we came from, how we're to live, and where we're headed. A right knowledge of God is essential to a fruitful and deep spiritual life. So I make no apology for driving you back over and over again to ask the question, what does God tell us about himself in his word? What does the Bible tell us about the character of God? One of my primary goals as your pastor is to teach you more 
about him. And that's what Psalm 139 does. It gives us a better understanding of who God is. It shows us some of the nature and the character of God. This psalm isn't just a theological treatise on the character of God. It is a personal reflection on who God is and what God is like. It blends the head, or what we know about God, with the heart, and that is our experience of God. We might call this a psalm of personal theology. It answers four of the the basic questions of life. And that is, does God know me? How close is God to me? Has God made me? And will God protect me? In answering those four questions, the psalmist points us to four of the attributes of God. We find his omniscience in verses 1 through 6. We find his omnipresence in verses 7 through 12. We find his omnipotence in verses 13 through 16. And we find his justice in verses 17 through 24. This morning, again, we're just looking at the first two of those attributes of God as we cover verses 1 through 12. And then we'll deal with the rest of the psalm in a couple of weeks. So the first question before us this morning is, does God know me? Does God really know me? And that question is answered by the omniscience of God or the fact that God knows everything. That's what we find in verses 1 through 6. Now again, this is not a theological treatise on the omniscience of God, but it is a personal reflection. It's a prayer that David offers to God. And what he's saying here is that as I understand that God knows everything, then I realize that God really does know me. It's clear from the text that God knows us intimately. Look at verse 1. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. That word search means to examine closely, to uh, to look uh, passionately for something. The, the Jews used it to describe someone who was digging in a mine, digging for for precious metal, earnestly searching for it. And and that's what the psalmist says God does for us. He he searches us, and he knows us. In our modern day language, it would be as though God had this spiritual x-ray machine by which he's able to know everything there is to know about us. Then in the next several verses, what he does is he kind of expands on that and describes that intimate knowledge God has of us in detail. Look at verse 2. He says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. That is, God knows every move that we make whether you're sitting whether you're standing whether you're walking running, resting in your bed God knows all of it Then he goes on to say you understand my thought from afar 
You see, God not only knows what you do, God also knows what you think. He not only knows your actions, but he perceives your thoughts. God knows your mind. And then in verse 3, he describes this intimate knowledge in even greater detail. He says, you scrutinize my path in my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. That word scrutinize, we don't use it much. It's even a more, much more intense word than the word search in verse 1. It is a, a word again that shows that God is just searching out everything there is to know about us. He scrutinizes us carefully, examines us closely. So that, the psalmist able to say, you are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. God knows us better than we know ourselves. The Bible says God knows the number of hairs on our heads. I don't know that. God knows it. God knows you better than you know yourselves. He is intimately acquainted with you. He knows you intimately. Then in verse 4, he takes it a step further. Where he says, Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. God not only knows what you say, but he knows what you are going to say before you say it. That kind of shoots that whole idea of bite your tongue, doesn't it? See, God knew what you're about to say before you bit your tongue and didn't say it. And he didn't just know part of it. He doesn't just know some of it. The text says, Behold, O Lord, you know it all. Verse 5 indicates, it's almost as if God kind of has us hemmed up. He says, You've enclosed me behind and before. Laid your hand upon me. It's like God has us, so he's able to be to know everything there is to know about us. We never can escape his vision or his knowledge of us. And this great truth that God knows us so well is taught all the way through the Bible. Remember when Samuel went to Jesse's house to choose the next king to succeed King Saul? God told him to go to Jesse's house and he would show him which of Jesse's son was to be the next king. Samuel got there. He began looking at the, the physical features, how strong they were, how tall they were, how impressive looking they were. And God said, look, you've you got the wrong perspective. Don't look at the outward appearance. Don't measure him by his physical stature. Because he said, man looks on the outward God looks deeper. God looks closer. God examines the heart. Paul said that God knows your heart. He says that God searches the heart. That God discloses the inner motives of our hearts. 
and he says that he examines our hearts. Turn with me quickly to Hebrews chapter 4. Keep your finger in Psalm 139. Hebrews chapter 4. In verse 13. The writer of Hebrews says this. And there is new creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now some of you are probably a little nervous hearing how intimately God knows you and how well God knows all your ways. It can be a bit unnerving, can't it? To realize that God knows every word, every action, every thought, every desire, every motive, everything. More than unnerving, it can be a bit frightening. A.W. Pink said that the thought of God's omniscience fills us with uneasiness. And there are times in it ought to do that. When you know you're outside of God's will, when you've disobeyed, when you're in sin, when you're filled with anger or bitterness or jealousy, animosity, whatever it might be, when those things are in your life, you ought to wake up at night thinking, oh my, God knows. It isn't hidden from God. I might hide it from Hank. I might hide it from my wife. But I can't hide it from God. I might not show my anger to you, but He knows I'm angry. I might express my jealousy over what you have and what you've gotten to do, but He knows it. God knows everything there is about our lives. But I want you to know that the real purpose of this life, even though of this psalm, even though that is an impact, that is a, a, a measure of grace, really, of understanding the omniscience of God, that's not the purpose of this psalm. The purpose of the psalm is to comfort you. It is to encourage you. It is to enable you to know that no matter where you are in life, no matter what your search, search, situation, no matter what your circumstance, no matter how difficult the place is that you're in today, God knows. He knows it. He knows you. And He knows what you are going through. And we see that expressed, I think, in verse 6 where David praises God for this omniscience. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. The fact that God knows him so well leads David to praise him, to, to glorify him. It, this, this knowledge of God is, is so wonderful. It, I just can't even grasp it, he says. It's more than I can take. It's higher than I can understand. And so, we have this wonderful exposition here of the omniscience of God. 
And we see part of of this comfort in it in the life of Hagar. Remember Hagar, don't you? Hagar was Abraham's handmaid. Remember, Abraham and Sarah weren't able to have children. God had promised a child, but the child hadn't come. And so Sarah got impatient. And she told Abraham to go into Hagar and have a son by her. And so he did. And she had this son. But you know, once the son came, Sarah's attitude changed. And she was jealous. So she drove Hagar away. And Hagar and her son went out into the wilderness. And they were at the end of their rope. They were almost near the point of despair. But at that moment, God came to Hagar. And he reassured her that he was going to bless her. And when God came to Hagar in that desperate situation, she said to him, You are a God who sees. In the Hebrew, it's literally, God sees me. And that's what this psalm does for us. It enables us to know that no matter where we are in life, no matter our situation or circumstance, God sees us. And God knows us. And God knows it all. Well, the second question before us this morning is found in verses 7 through 12. And that is, how close is God to me? And that question is answered by God's omnipresence. See, not only does God know everything, but God is always present everywhere. But again, the focus is not on the fact just that God is everywhere, but because God is everywhere, that means God is always, what? He's always with me. He's always with me. Are there times in your life when it seems like God is far away? Are are there times in your life when you pray and God just doesn't seem quite to be there? Are there times in your life when you just don't sense that the Lord is near? This psalm reminds us that no matter what we may think or feel, the truth is God is always present with us. And, And again, David applies this great attribute of God, this theological truth, in a very personal way to his life. These, these first two attributes of God that are found in Psalm 139, God's omniscience and God's omnipresence, they, they fit together like a hand in a glove. Because you see, God does know everything. But in order to know everything, God always has to be always present everywhere. If God wasn't always present everywhere, he wouldn't know everything. But you see... The two fit closely together. And so there's a, because of God's omnipresence, because He's always present with you, there's a sense in which you are never, ever truly alone, even when you feel all alone. Even when you sense there's nobody really there, God is there. You have someone who knows you and understands you. And isn't that really the crux of loneliness? 
that you feel that somehow there's just nobody who really gets it? Nobody who really gets you? Nobody who really understands you? Nobody who really cares for you? Nobody who's really concerned about you? That's why, you know, you can feel lonely in a room full of people. If there's no one in that room who really knows you or notices you, no one who shows an interest in you, then you can feel lonely standing shoulder to shoulder with all those people. This is one of the things you know, I always fear about the church. Is someone to walk in here and feel alone because no one seemed to care. Someone seemed to notice. And so I just want to tell you again how much it thrills my soul to see you reaching out to new people. I don't know if anybody walks in here and somebody doesn't say, I need to speak to them so they don't feel alone here. See, that's what the presence of God does for us. We are never, ever really alone. God is always there. And God always understands. He always knows and He always cares. You see, God is not some distant, preoccupied deity, but God is someone who dwells among His people, who is always present with us. He is very, very close to you. We just saw how intimately God knows you, and now we're going to see how personally God is with you. David begins to reflect on that in verse 7, where he asks two questions. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? Those are what we call rhetorical questions. They don't really anticipate an answer, because the answer is clear. The questions are asked for effect. There's nowhere that you can go from God's spirit. Nowhere you can go from his presence. God is always present everywhere. That's what we mean by his omnipresence. And the point of this psalm is that because God is always present everywhere, you are never, ever alone. We talked about Hagar a moment ago. You remember Jonah, don't you? Jonah and the great fish. Now Jonah was told by God to go to Nineveh. Well, Nineveh was the last place that Jonah wanted to go. And Jonah, it seems, got in his idea that maybe he could find a place where God was not. And so instead of boarding the, the ship for Nineveh, Jonah got on one that was headed for Tarshish. Now, Tarshish was in the opposite direction from Nineveh. And it's almost, though, as Jonah thought, well, if I just go the opposite direction of the way God told me, if I just go far enough where God directed me, then maybe I can avoid him and I can escape him. But you know what Jonah found? Jonah found there's no place that you can escape the presence of God, even in the ocean, even in the belly of a whale. Notice the way David describes the continual presence of God in verse 8. He says, I've ascended to heaven, you're there. 
If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. It's thought here that David is not referring so much to heaven and hell, but to the heavens, the broad expanse of the heavens, and to the earth, the innermost parts of the earth. His point is that you can go as high as you can go into the heavens. You can go as deep as you can go into the earth, and still God is there. His presence is there. You can never escape it. Now think about what the psalm is saying there. Now, we really don't, I know I don't understand. Some of you who have more scientific minds than me probably grasp it a lot better. Not probably, I know you grasp it better than I do. But, you know, this universe is immense, isn't it? It is immense. It is huge. You know, we send rocket ships out into space and they travel at these incredible speeds and it takes them years to reach their destination. But don't you understand that no matter how far one of those rockets has gone away from the earth, it has never gone outside the presence of God. God sees every one of those rockets because God is there. If I ascend to heaven, what do I find? There God is. If I go into the deepest parts of the earth, you dig a hole all the way to the center of the earth, and guess what? God is there. No matter where you go, God is always present. Then verses 9 and 10. It says, If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will lay hold of me. Here again, he's, he's thinking of places that are far off. Think of the horizon. You know, the horizon just just seems to have no end, does it? It seems to go on and on and on. And even there, he says, if I take the wings of the dawn and fly to the, to the rising of the sun, you are there. And which one of us is not overwhelmed by the sight and the sound of the sea? You know, the, the, the oceans are simply overwhelming, aren't they? And especially when you're out in the middle of one, you lose all sense of direction because you're just surrounded by water. It's all you can see. And the psalmist says, If I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. And your right hand we lay hold of me. You see, the point David is making here, it doesn't matter how far you go up, how deep you go down, how expansive you go out, how far you down you go into the ocean, you just can't. He's like, he's describing every kind of direction. There's no place you can go where God is not. And, and the point is that no matter where you are, Physically, emotionally, spiritually. No matter where you are, God is there with you. And you're never, ever truly alone. Then David turns to another aspect of life. Can give us these immense feelings of loneliness or isolation. In verse 11, he refers to the darkness. Now, to me, there's, there's nothing quite as frightening as being in the dark. 
I didn't like it when I was a child. I don't like it as an adult. I don't like being in the dark. Give me some light. Even the darkness, he says, is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. You see, even in your darkest moments, whether it's physical darkness, emotional darkness, spiritual darkness, God is there and the dark just doesn't appear dark to Him. There's a reason that Jesus says that He is the light of the world. Because we live in a dark world. Sometimes we're overwhelmed by the darkness. But you see, Jesus shines the light upon us to illumine our path, to show us the way. Even in the darkness, God is there with us to give us a sense of direction. So again, no matter what your situation, no matter what your circumstance no matter how gloomy the skies may seem, no matter how gray life may appear, no matter dark it may seem, God's always there. And He shines the light of Christ to give you hope, encouragement, and direction. You see, Christ really is the answer to all your problems. You see, we've been talking about the omniscience and the omnipresence of God. What we find in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to John chapter 10. The Bible is clear that Jesus knows us. You go to John 10 verses 11 and 12. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. All right. Uh, that's the wrong verse, verse 14. 14 and 15. It says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. What is Jesus saying there? He says, look, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd knows his sheep. He knows them by name. He's able to identify them. He knows what they need. I'm the good shepherd. He says, I know my own. And my own know me. They know that I'm the shepherd. Then he compares it to the knowledge that the father has the son. Just as the, the father knows the son, so does the father. So I know my own. And then he goes on to say, because I know them so well, I know their greatest need. And I admit it. I know my own. And because of that, I give my life for it. Jesus died on the cross because he knew you. Because he knew your sin. He knew your helplessness. He knew your hopelessness. And apart from his sacrifice, you had no hope. And then before Jesus ascended to heaven, he, he made a promise. And the promise was, I'm going to ask the Father that He will send to you the Comforter, 
the helper, the Holy Spirit, that He may be with you forever. You get it? There it is, the omnipresence of God. I'm going to pray that, I'm going to ask the Father to give you the Holy Spirit and He will be with you, with you, forever. And of course, Paul tells us the Holy Spirit isn't just with us, but the Holy Spirit is in us. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I gave my sermon this morning the title, A Wonderful God. And we have a wonderful God who is omniscient, who knows us perfectly, who is omnipresent, who is always with us, who's promised never to leave us nor forsake us. What an encouragement that is. But encourage your hearts today and the rest of your lives. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. We pray your blessing upon what has been said here today, done here today, sung here today, prayed here today, and pray to use it for your glory and for our spiritual good and edification. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.